This is the Loud Pedal Podcast with Chris Stubbs and Lee Holdsworth. G'day and welcome to the Post Sandown Loud Pedal Podcast brought to you by Super Cheap Auto. Chris Stubbs, great to be with you. Lee Holdsworth, you look reasonably sober. I am actually. I'm, I'm <laughs> high on life though. So. <laughs> Fair enough too. What a... Uh, what an event it was for you. Well, this week, Hall of Famer Mark Scaife makes his debut appearance as we find out just how lethal did celebrate that drought-breaking podium. We wrap up all the talking points from the Sandown 500, including that bombshell Bathurst penalty to Scott McLaughlin. We have the latest silly season news. Lee unloads with his lethal weapon. And Scaifey tells us who is the most famous name in his phone. All that in a full preview of the final round of the season, the Newcastle 500. This is the Loud Pedal Podcast. Did you know Super Cheap Auto are cheaper or they'll beat it? If you find a cheaper price online or in another store for an identical item, they'll beat it. Well, Mark Scaife, or as the Sandown opener said five times, six times, the wonder kid from Wyong, I think it was, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. First of all, I think it would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the passing this week of Mike Raymond. I think in many ways, shape and form, we wouldn't be here in this scenario doing what we're doing, perhaps without the efforts of, of Mike. I know personally, growing up, he was the voice of Supercars. Lee, similar age to me, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same with me, Stubbsy. Um, you know, I thought it was uh, really touching seeing all the, the footage, hearing his voice again um, before the start of the Sandown 500. To me, he was the voice of, of touring cars. And um, and But I've only just realised just, you know, just this past week how much more he actually mm. was to sport and, and how much he did do for the sport. I'm sure uh, Mark could... Tell us a bit more about that side of it. Yeah, look, he was uh, a remarkable man and a, and a guy that uh, you know mentored many of the people that uh, we we take for granted in terms of our media landscape today. So he was very influential with Neil Crompton. He was actually the sort of mentor for Crompo and put Crompo on uh, to begin with. And the funeral yesterday, there was uh, there was a really big contingent of of. Uh, race drivers and people in the industry, he was so well-respected. So a lot of television people there, many of the television people that Mike actually worked with are still working for us now. So uh, he had a uh, huge uh, attendance at his funeral, as, as uh, you would think. And, uh, you know, Dick Johnson was there, uh, you know, Crompo spoke. Uh, Lounsey made his way there too. So uh, there was, a, there was a, a really nice attendance and a really nice ceremony. The interviews with Dick Johnson are one of the things that come to mind for me in terms of behind the scenes. What what did he do? What did he bring to this sport and, and where did he take it that it hadn't been before? Well, if you had to summarise, the biggest thing he did is he actually got the entertainment package. You know, he wasn't talking shocks and springs. He was talking about how you put bums on seats and yeah. how you actually got people to come and watch and, and also how people integrated with the sport. You know, he made all those nicknames up for all the drivers. He had, uh, he had a really a great flair and a really good understanding of what was entertainment. And if you said out of it all, what was his biggest legacy? Probably the current regulations. So if you think at the end of the GDR and Ford Sierra, BMW M3 era, um, he was instrumental in putting the V8 Ford versus Holden thing together with uh, Rob McInerney and Peter Gillitzer from Holden Ford. So uh, he was, he was, uh, a man that got a lot done in the background and uh, obviously what we're experiencing right now is a lot to do with Mike Raymond. And we certainly tip our hats to him and our thoughts are with his family and those closest to him uh, for the weekend ongoing. Sandown recap, Lee, the podium, the emotion. You're, you're almost in tears, <laughs> mate. <laughs> well, yeah, I was. Um, look, it was, 
it was it was awesome, and it's been a long time coming. You know, we sort of missed out on a few opportunities the last three or four events, and where we where we well could have been on the podium. We've shown really good speed, but finally it came together. Um, unfortunate for the ninety seven car, they did an awesome job all day, uh, but but their bad luck was our good luck, and um, and it got us on the podium. But yeah, it was it was just pure. I was so emotional, probably with about five or six to go, just. You know, it's been a hard slog. It's been a really hard slog over the past five years, and um, and to now be back in this position where I can fight for uh, for podiums again and and potentially race wins, you know, coming up soon. So uh, it's just a, it's such an awesome thing, you know. I've been I still want this more than ever, and and now feeling like I've got the opportunity again is is just amazing. So um, it was. Probably more so relief at the end of the race. You know, I've finally broken that drought that everyone's been talking about. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I've got another trophy for Tickford. And, and now all four cars have got trophies this year at Tickford. I think it's a little bit over the top that you bought that trophy to the cafe beforehand and it's sitting here on the, on the desk with us. I'm bit. drinking my water out of it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I thought that... Scaifer, we might have put the commentator's curse on our great mate, Lethal. I, I texted you and said, you know what, the drought is sort of thing, and we put that to air, and then Chaz went past him, and I thought we'd done you there. But uh, it was a pretty good result, wasn't it, Scaifer? Nice to see a guy that, as Lee's just said, that's had some struggles back on the podium. Yeah, it is, and I think Lee's words were around relief. Often that's what happens, you know, through the course of your career. I remember, you know, there was a period with Craig Lowndes, and he, he just didn't have a win for four or five years. You know, there's times... Peter Brock was the same, you know. Um, Holden didn't win the Australian Touring Car Championship from 1980 to 1994, you know. So there's a there's big lapses throughout the course of history and uh, obviously welcome relief for, for Lee to go well. SVG and GT, you've got to tip your hat to what they achieved. That was coming from the rear of the field was was phenomenal, wasn't it? Oh, unbelievable. I mean, they had they had great pace. And uh, I don't think Lounsey was ready to see GT in the mirror by the end of the first <laughs> stint. I think uh, at that stage he... Probably thought he was going to get away with it, but uh, when when Garth got to second and then put pressure on Craig, they knew they were in for a real battle. And by then, the strategy had actually unfolded the right way for them. So uh, it was it was a tremendous run for them, and 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 obviously commiserations. Is you know mm. it's a cruel. I sit in the coverage. You know it's a cruel game sometimes. You know mm. just you got all that together. You couldn't have had a better run. And then for the thing to stop 10, uh, you know, 10 laps from the end was unbelievable. To, yeah, and to fight so hard all day <laughs> to finally put it up the front and actually, well, they were, they were going to win the race for sure. So, um, yeah, commiserations to uh, Tander and, and SVG. Um, they should have won that one. So, that, But they, they, their pace is just unbelievable at that yeah. track and, and has been for the last three or four events. Yeah. So. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? First, to finish first, first you have to finish. But as you said, it was a great drive. Commiserations to them. Their form in the Enduros, Mark, has been phenomenal for the team, the Red Bull Holden Racing Team, five out of six race wins. Why did it take so long to come, do you think? Oh, I look, I think um, the regulations at the start of the year knocked them around in terms of the twin spring regulation. And they were the best at the twin spring technology. They were really early in their usage of it, understood it really well. And they had used it as a real tuning tool for those cars. So changing the spring regulation had a big impact on them. And then, you know, I know Lee won't like it, but it's probably taken a fair while through the course of this year for the parity to actually be lined up properly. And um, from Pukekohe onwards, I think you saw the Commodore 
at Pukekohe, all of a sudden mm. it, it was sparked up. And I think the evenness of the competition had improved from New Zealand onwards. And then leading into the Enduros, they were remarkable. I mean, their comp- driver combinations were the best. Um, and and I, th- I think, you know, everyone would accept that those two, two A drivers make a huge difference. Yeah, I just touching on that, um, Stubbsy, I, I think it's more than a coincidence that it started at Pukekohe when the, when the Holdens got their upgrades to the aero package, um, you know, at the start of the year, like much, uh, like Mark touched on, they really didn't have their package together with the, with the linear spring and, you know, BJR were ahead of them. Uh, Erebus were ahead of them. So other Holden teams were in front of them. They'd been putting, uh, they'd been making improvements every round, every round up until Pukekohe. And they saw they were nearly there before Pukekohe, but then once they got their aero update, all of a sudden it feels like they're in front of us again in, in terms of parity. But um, I hate the word parity, but look, f- for the last uh, four rounds, I think it is, they've been dominating and uh, and the Mustangs are being you know, left to, to pick up the pieces. Uh, they are the best Holden team by a fair way at the moment, I must admit, and they are always very strong at the Enduros as well. But, um, yeah, it would have been interesting to see had they left the, the aero the, the same. I think we would have had a, a much closer battle with the, the Fords. So do you think it's gone too far? Obviously, we'll be uh, reassessed at look, the end of the year again. But... It's hard to say because we can't, you can't say it's, it's equal or not because we haven't done pro- the proper testing. Yeah. So it's all been based on what was uh, the performance of the cars prior to Pukekohe. Uh, so, and I think that Triple Eight, as a as a team, have made further progress with their package. Um, you know, mechanically. Uh, so they, they've taken a, a huge step since then. Mm. It's a valid point. I mean, they we said a lot through the course of this year that they weren't the lead Holden, and you'd expect them to, as the fact returned to be mm. the lead, lead Holden from day one. Mm. So I, I agree with you. They they got better and better, but one of the real anomalies of the year is that for the first time in the history of our sport, have we actually adjusted parity upwards? Yeah. We've never done that. Mm. So in the history of the sport, we've continued this year to increase the arrow, increase the arrow, increase the arrow, increase the arrow to match up at some point, and whether that's Nissan or Holden, to get to Mustang level. So instead of slowing the faster yeah. car, we've made all the other cars faster. Yeah. And, and it is, and we've, I, I, and we've messed it up. It's the wrong way of going we've about it, hundred percent. Because what it's doing is it's making the racing worse. It's making it harder to follow. Totally. Uh, which is, you know, the reason why we're going to the changes that we're doing for mm. 2020, uh, where they'll they'll be taking aero away. But you would think that they would have started implementing that this year, you know, to see what it does for for the racing side of it and the entertainment side of it. You're both confident for 2020 in the product that we'll have in front of us and the the comparison between the cars. Oh, I am. I yeah. mean, you've got to apply the science and you've got to go and do a really good job of it. So uh, what, what that number becomes, whether it's 20 or 30 or 50% off, whatever it is, I, I'd be advocating for the maximum amount off. I think they need to have a fair chunk of aero taken off them. Okay. Um, and that would, that would help the tyre degradation. It would help the overtaking. Um, and, and overall, I think, would improve the quality of the racing. So there's, there's a lot of components to that, but certainly reducing the aero would have a, a big effect. I think that we, we really should be looking at uh, the way that IndyCar have gone about their aero package. Um, and that, that is actually the same way that F1 are now looking at it for you know a couple of years' time. Um, they're, they're trying to reduce the dirty air behind the car so that you can follow closer. 
Um, how they are doing that, I'm not entirely sure, but I think they're getting a lot more downforce from from the under you know, the under tray of the car rather than the actual wing itself. Which the wing is the thing that creates the the dirty air and, and the drag. So um, that, that's what I'd like to see them take a little bit closer look at and, and try and adopt some of those uh, theories. All right, we wait to see what happens. The Saturday talking point was Shane Van Gisbergen and Anton. Beardo putting his hand up, admitting he got that one wrong after the penalty was applied to Anton. As a driver in that field, what did you make of that? Number one, the decision, but then the fact that Beardo actually very quickly said, you know, I stuffed that one up. Yeah, look, it's it's hard. I mean, they they they, they were a bit um, trigger happy, I think. You know, up there, they 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 didn't see it from enough angles before they made the call. Um, as far as you know, Anton is concerned, that that hurts. Like, an apology doesn't really do much for you at that stage. Um, but but on the other hand, you know, Beardo, he's he's had so many decisions uh, that were done correctly throughout the year, and I think he's done a brilliant job. So to have one bad decision um, and put your hand up for it, like he's manning up for that, and and I thought that was really gutsy of him. We haven't seen uh, many people up in that position apologise for a, a mistake. So um, you can't you know you can't come down too hard on Beardo because he's he's put his hand up and and um, it's really what do you do at that stage once you've once mm. you've um, allocated the penalty? Uh, it's very hard to give to something back. Yeah. Like what do you, you, yeah. you can't change the positions at the end of the race. So uh, he did the right thing, I think, in the end. Is there a way there that you could apply a retrospective penalty if Shane admitted he was at, at fault and you've watched the vision back? And is there any way that you can do that, or do you just have to go, okay, hands up, it was a mistake, and we move on? You can't really fix it. Yeah. Then you can't sort of reinsert him in the field yeah. or I, I think he would have been second or it could have been fifth or whatever. And 15 can, seconds, you yeah, can't, yeah, can't, too hard. You just can't do it. But, but uh, I mean, I think there were two major things to come out of it. Firstly, Shane admitting mm. the mistake. Yep. Right. So that, for me, that was a really honourable, sportsmanlike and respectful way of saying, hey, I put my hand up and I made a mistake here, um, which we all do, and we've all done the same thing. We've all arrowed into the first corner too hot and hit the car in front. There's not a person, or if you haven't done it, you haven't tried hard enough. <laughs> mm. So, um, so everyone's done it. Then the second part of that is that we were we couldn't believe what had unfolded because I, I just couldn't understand how Anton could be penalised yeah. for it. Um, and I, I think I said in the race that uh, I must have been watching a different race. Uh, and then to Lee's point, for Craig to put his hand up and say, "Hey, I've made a mistake." I mean, I. I think that was really good. He is the best person we've had in that role probably ever, not not yeah. just lately, no ever. Um, and, and he was he, shaken by that, wasn't he? I you really knocked him around. He was shattered. Yeah, yeah he yeah. knocked him around. He, and he's got, you know, there's a lot of pride in the way that Beardo applies himself to this thing. And for him to make a mistake, he was, it really knocked him around. And I, and I like that too, because that mm. does, it shows him it means something. Mm -hmm. And you must get that respect from the drivers. on. See, when, when you see how much yeah. it means to him. And the, I mean, if he had have said, oh, you know, bad uh, luck. Bad luck. Yeah. You know, I I didn't do my job wrong. Uh, it was just one of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then yeah, he would have lost a lot of respect. But the way he came out and said that, um, I think everyone respects Beardo as a driver and respects what he does. And I think everyone thinks he does a, a brilliant job. Yeah. So, you know, one one bad call every now and then. Um, I mean, there there are ways we would like we would hope that that's not going to happen again. 
um, cause you'd hate for it to happen to you. Uh, so I, I think the, the way moving forward is just to look at all angles, take, take a bit more time before yep. you make the call. Yep. But I think the biggest thing out of it, Lee, is that drivers and all of us as an industry have to accept it's a bloody hard job. Yeah. It's oh, not yeah. a job that anyone wants. No. Right? <laughs> Walk down pit lane tomorrow and see yeah. who's going to put their hand up for it. Yeah. 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 That'd but, be donuts. Yeah. But to yeah. have that much respect in yeah. that position yeah. after, you know, after a, however long, uh, two years of being in that position, um, I think shows what sort of job he's, he's doing. He's doing a brilliant job. The consistency is great. I think, you know, it's been the best consistency we've ever seen. We haven't talked about Toyota 86, I don't think, on the <laughs> podcast at all this year. John Iafola, 21-year-old from Wollongong Scape, he proves that no matter what improvements you make to a track and how safe it is, this is motor racing at the end of the day and things can happen. Yes, that's that's right, Chris. And there's, there's, I think there's a few circumstances. It's not a trajectory that you would normally go mm. off. So I think you'll find that there might have been contact so for uh, for him to go off the road there, first time we've ever seen it. In fact, we saw Dumbrell have an accident there in Commodore days, but he reversed down the hill and we actually fixed that area where he went in. But to the left of where John went on the weekend in the 86, we've, we've never seen a car yeah. in there. Yeah. And that was really as a consequence of the contact coming down through the S's. Um, second thing is, uh, if you had a time again, there's probably a case for having fences more like the barriers that we use at street yeah. circuits, fences closer to the track. So the reality around that is that you try to contain the incident. Yeah. Now, that, that has negatives also because if the car fires to the left, it still rebounds in front of other cars. Yeah. But it probably keeps the car in in the domain that uh, that it should have been. So anyway, there's, there's yeah. obviously a lot of hindsight and there's a heap of, heap of geniuses. <laughs> I, I, I just so happened to head up the – national track safety thing. And I've got a, a pack of very, very intelligent people <laughs> telling me what we should do yeah. with safety. So, um, I'll, I'll field the calls. I imagine. Yeah. I, I think that the days of Armco are gone. Like the, in terms of track safety, I think those days are gone because you saw the way that that thing flew up over the fence. It climbed. Well, it was, it had, it was on two wheels as it hit the fence. And, and as it did hit the fence, the Armco, the way it is, with the jutted out sections, it climbed up over it when it hit, and uh, and and that's the the result was that it cl- that it ended up where it did. Um, I mean, like I'm what maybe I'm one of those uh, geniuses <laughs> skating that says it how how I think I sh- it should be, but I would like to see. Um, I, I don't want to see any Armco barriers anymore. I, I think they they well we saw there were a couple of crashes against an Armco on the weekend. We spent. Two hours fixing it, you know. Um, it's, I think we need to bring concrete walls into sections like that where you can just glance off them. Well, the, the negative of that is that if that other accident that happened on the weekend mm-hmm. where the 86 went in the right-hand armco, if, that, if that's a wall, that's a much bigger accident mm-hmm. because the deflection of the armco, if you have a look at what actually yeah. happened, the deflection of the armco absorbed, absorbed a huge it. amount of force. Mm-hmm. So there's absolute points for and against. If yeah. you park a fence there on the right-hand side, that... That person's dead set in the hospital. Yeah. So well, there's this, and again, it's a lot about the venues, Stubbsy. So it, it, it's it's all fine for us to say we're going to do this. Now that that fix at the end of the back straight, that was almost a million dollars. So what's the lifeline of Sandown? Not quite sure. Would would we spend a million dollars on a joint? You don't know what the lifeline is. Not sure. Yeah. So Melbourne Racing Club have done a ripping job to do all that, and it's a horse racing facility. Remember. Yeah. yeah. So. 
we, we haven't always got the domain that's ours. Yeah. And that's a hard part of what we do. Yeah. It yeah. comes down to money. Because, I mean, if we had the money, you'd put those NASCAR-style barriers everywhere so that they absorb the, the impact. Yeah. Well, John's a lucky boy anyway, and he's off to do his exams. So we wish him well with that. The Sandown format. What do you think of the change, racing for points and uh, championship wins on Saturday? Uh, I I think the format's great. I don't know about the points with the uh, for the co-drivers. I didn't really understand why they would get points, but um, I mean, as far as the format goes, that's brilliant racing. Like the the race on the Saturday with the co-drivers, I reckon it's the best <laughs> one of the year. Uh, there's so, because there's a variance in co-drivers, a bigger variance than in the main main drivers race, um, you see a lot of passing, you'll see a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, people aren't used to starting these cars. So you see bad starts, good starts. Yeah. Um, it just mixes up the field so much. And so I'm a little, you know, looking towards tail and bend, I don't know how we're going to make it as good as that. You know, we've got to, we've got to put something in there that mixes it up at the moment. We're not going to have 60, 60 races there. So, um, I, I love it. I love that format, and and it'll be a shame to see it go. Mark, will you miss Sandown as an enduro? Uh, absolutely. I I think the history of the sport is something you've really got to be careful of. You know, the heritage of what we've done over the years, whether it's the Moffat and Brock record at that place, um, the precursor event for Bathurst has been something that, you know, Australians actually understand. Mm. Um, and sometimes we probably don't pay enough attention to what that heritage looks like. Yeah. And I think the other part is that, you know, the format itself, I, I really like. I, I totally agree with you, Lee. I, I think that it, it throws up unpredictability. Mm-hmm. And every time you can do that, you get, you yeah. get a better outcome. Um, I, I still can't communicate. I can't tell people how it works. So I, yeah. I don't like having to explain it because yeah. no one no one can. Just let Jess do <laughs> yeah, it all, Just all let Jess go your hardest. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah. at the end of the day, um, the racing's great. Yeah. How do you think Taylor will go? Uh, I don't think it'll be a great race like that. It's it's very hard to pass. Um, it's one of those racetracks where it's almost got tyre, no tyre degradation at the moment. Mm. And when you have that, then you continue to press on hard the whole time. Mm. There's going to be a bigger difference between the haves and the have-nots. Mm. And uh, whoever makes the tyre live under that scenario, as a 2A drivers, for instance, in a Red Bull car, mm. will will beat the others by more. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you think, Scafie, how do you reckon we can mix it up so that we actually do get some of that Sandown-style racing on the Saturday? How can we can we draw positions? I don't know. Can we can we draw positions out of a hat or can we, I don't know, I think I someone like suggested on... We need manufacture something. There needs to be something. I actually think that, like, there's talk of the super soft tyre or um, super, super soft tyre there. I still don't think we'll have enough deg. Like the track is that, the, the surface is that good that, you know, the, the, the fuel load versus the, the tyre wear, it'll, it'll just even out, you know, the, with, the, with the race balance, the race speed. I don't think you'll see any deg. Mm. So I don't know how, do you have any ideas on how we can mix it up? Uh, well, I haven't got one for you right now. <laughs> but what I don't like is to have gimmicks. So yeah. I reckon the only time that, Race formats work is when they're authentic. Mm-hmm. What, we're not so, going to bring back reverse grids? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had some ripping races <laughs> yeah, like it, but again, well, but yeah. see, for me, that's actually more authentic than trying to have some ad hoc way of achieving yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the reality around that is that, again, Australians, we, you know, if we think about our sporting parlance and the way that we gravitate to cricket and AFL and NRL, it's 
the rules don't change very much. And and people in their lounge room or sitting at the at the oval or the or the arena understand the game very well. Our sport's already so complex that we should do everything we can possibly do to make sure people understand what we're doing. And if you if you have gimmicks, it makes it hard. Yep. What about a whole field shootout? Because what you need is you need some of the guys at the that are usually at the front, down the back, which makes or make, you know somewhere different in the field where a, a good car with good drivers are, are a little bit further back than they should. Mm. That's how you get racing, and that's why Sandown works because some of the co-drivers or the, there's a they have a problem in in one of those races on the Saturday. They end up starting at the back like Tander and and SVG, and mm. they it's a great spectacle to see them come through. So. Mm. You need something like that where, and that's authentic, you know, yeah. it's, mm. it's whoever puts their best lap down. Mm. There's merit, merit. McLaughlin's penalty. He's lost pole, $30,000 fine to the team. Started Sunday from the rear of the grid. When you found out, Lee, what was your initial reaction to that? Oh, look, my initial reaction, to be honest, was that, uh, was that it's, it's terrible. You know, um, what, what part of it what, what was terrible? Well, I think the worst part of it all is th- this penalty has been served after the round. That's the hardest thing. And, and um, it's no fault of, of anyone's that it's served after because we just don't have the um, the, the resources or the time to, to be able to do those things at the race meeting. But the fact that he still started on pole, but he didn't get pole, mm. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. So did it affect the race? I don't know. I mean, it, it affected where he started, obviously, but... Um, yeah, I, I just, especially after with the other scrutiny that they've been through, uh, with, with the Bathurst race, um, it's made a bit of a mockery of it, but then having a, having a chat with Mark before, uh, look, the, the, the tolerance, um, that they were out is, is so minute that it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's very hard to, um, to be that harsh on them, uh, because, as Mark will probably go into, you don't know, it could have very be- well been legal before they started mm. the qualifying, and, uh, and that's before the point, they had the no overheating. One's, no one's accusing them of, of deliberately going to qualifying with an yeah. engine that was with not within the rules. And it's well stated that it left the factory, as they understand it, with, within the right specifications, yeah. Mark. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and that's, you know, I think even from Cam's and the stewards' report and the note that the team put out, Clearly, that wasn't intentional because the margin outside the tolerance is so minuscule. So I think to your point there, Lee, that's that's actually the case. I think the, the couple of things that people probably haven't really got right is that when you consider the overall engine regulations, our engine regulations are outstanding. You know, we we have for many years, dating right back to Larry Perkins and Ross Stone and, and the way that the engine regulations have promulgated over a, a long period, um, we've got to a point where the engine performance, car to car, manufacturer to manufacturer, is so close, it's unbelievable. And the transparency around it is fantastic. The ESD, the engine specification document, is really well done. The halo of matching the engines up. So we started this properly when Car of the Future came in, and we dynoed everybody's engine within that year prior, and we knew what the threshold was. One of the only mistakes that we've really made is we should have reduced the threshold at day one, which the teams which the teams didn't agree to uh, on the commission. 
But if we reduce the overall output by, say, 15 horsepower, made the, the, the lift or the valve train stress less, no one in their lounge room or in the stand at Sandown would have ever known. Yeah. And it would have been much easier for Todd Kelly and for Volvo and for Mercedes to meet the requirements straight away. So that's one of the things we've, we've done wrong. And would have saved stress on the engine. And absolutely, oh, saved stress on the engine and yeah. increased their life and, and lowered the cost, cost per kilometre. But overall, the halo of, of where the engines are parked is so close. They're all within 1%. So those engines that were all checked, and that's the bit that people haven't really grasped, all the engines were checked after Bathurst. So all the podium engines, so car uh, 97, 88, 22, 12, 17, and 17 by two. So 17 engine for qualifying and 17 engine for the race. All checked, and none of them were outside the window of performance. So they, they were all under. So in terms of their actual engine output, no one breached the rule. When, when 17's qualifying engine was then stripped, which is much later after the Gold Coast, then they found the anomaly. So obviously there's a lot of detail in all that, but... You know, the biggest single point is I'm sure the intention was for that not to be a breach. Yeah. Do, you, do you know the thing that I think really puts questions in the air is the fact that they were changing their engine on the Friday night after qualifying. So why did they change it on Friday night? That That's what I think, you know, it, it seemed what what I think the perception is, yeah, is that they've that taken it, yep. they had their qualifying engine. Yep. The perception is that they knew there was that it was illegal, which is why they took it out and put in the legal one for the race. Why did they take it out on the Friday night? So it was making, um, or it was having oil in the water. So it was, it was making steam effectively. And they had asked the head of motorsport to change it. They sh- had a look at the data and between Craig Hastead, uh, who's our engine guy and uh, Adrian Burgess, they were approved to take the engine out. And that's when the engine was then sealed and made sure that that engine was then checked. So yeah, at that point, they thought there was a, a serious um, issue around the engine not finishing the race. And that can cause the issue that was found, can't it? Pot- well, potentially, if, if, it has, if it has left the engine supplier measuring right, and then afterwards it's not, it, it can happen during the qualifying sessions, right? Well, it, it's made temperature, so it's overheated. So as a consequence of overheating, yes, then, then a lot of things expand and stretch. So it's not every cylinder. So I'm, I'm, I think it's five, but it might only be four, but it wasn't all eight cylinders that were actually outside the tolerance. So that's weird. You'd never, I mean, as an engine builder, you would never have half the, half the cylinders outside the yeah. to- tolerance in, compar- in comparison to the other. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of anomalies and there's a lot of background stuff. And I, I agree with Lee because I feel sorry for Scotty in some ways because yeah. – it's sort of got this tainted feel to it. it you know, the thing with, with Fabian was obviously one issue, although those two issues aren't, aren't linked, you know, people easily say, oh, well, what happened yeah. there and then what happened there? And they're not in the same postcode, but, yeah. they're, but they're still, um, you know, joined up at some point when people start to consider their performance. Yeah, I, I agree. I, looking back at the coverage from the weekend, Scotty... Uh, Won, you know, won the championship on the Sunday there, tied it up at Sandown. Um, wasn't did, a nice yeah. way. Like, you could see on his face, he was, you he think was lost so it, drained. Yeah, 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 100%. I, I think it was probably felt worse than losing the championship in 17. Um, I, I 
I feel for him. I mean, this is, it's not his doing, um, and, and neither was any of the things that happened at Bathurst, uh, during the race. Um, so yeah, in a way, I think he would have been best off parking his car and winning it at, at Newcastle, you know, but, uh, yeah, it is what it, what it is, but I, I do feel for him. He's done a, an incredible job this year. And, and no one can take that away from him, but yeah, not a nice way to finish. Um, one question I do have. So they were penalised to, uh, what was the fine at? Um, Two, 250. 250 yeah. with 150 suspended. Now they've got another penalty of 30, of which 15 is suspended. So why, what triggers the, the suspended the part? Because suspended part? this Good is a second offence. Perhaps under different clauses because their offences under different regulations would be the only thing that come to my mind. Yeah, well, international sporting rules plus our own operations manual. There's disparities there in terms of where the penalties have come from. Um, And again, if you're not part of the stewards hearing and you're not privy to all the detail because there's there's essentially like a plea bargaining system when you're within those hearings. And as a a consequence of their admission of, of fault... Um, then I think there's some leniency there in terms of the the commercial part of it. I, I mean, I, I've heard the comments from Roland um, regarding financial penalties, mm. and I, I totally agree. I mean, that, yeah. to me, a financial penalty to Roger Penske, stop it! It's yeah. just, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. So yeah. Th- it's got it's got to have. It's not just necessarily the penalty fitting the crime. It's got to have the right consequence, mm. and uh, financial penalties in that regard don't work. But then you bring in. You bring in the talk of inconsistency, don't you? So, but yeah, it, I, I agree. It has to be circumstantial and has to uh, be the penalty that that fits the crime according to uh, which team you're dealing with. You know, uh, let's say for BJR, if you give them a two hundred fifty grand fine, well, that's huge. Yeah, but won't see them next year. Well, They're yeah, gone. Yeah, the, so it's door. completely different to has do it that for changed Pensky. your view. Of the victory, you've already said that Scott wasn't at fault. He doesn't make the engines, and and he wasn't involved in the other in the other call in terms of the safety car. But is there still a bit of you that, like Mark said, it's kind of a eh, question mark? Well, I don't know how you can't see it as as a bit of a um, a question mark over the victory because he started the race where he shouldn't have. He should have started last. So who knows what would have happened, whether he would have won it or not. How do we ever know that? We don't. Um, but, yeah, you've got to question it. Mark, 92 was a controversial Bathurst victory, I think it's fair to say. How did you react to that? And, and the fans, obviously the Ford fans, there was a fair bit thrown at yourself and, and Jim. Did it take the victory in your mind? Did it, did it take a bit to get over that? Yeah, it certainly did. I mean, I think... When you put that in context, because what you're looking for really as a sporting person is the respect from the patrons of what unfolded within that race. And that day for me was the most dangerous day ever at Bathurst. And for Jim, it was incredibly hard for him to cope with because one of his great mates, Denny Holman, 1967 world champion, had passed away that day. So... um we we were we didn't really care about whether it was Nissan, Holden, Ford, BMW, whatever it was. All we were looking for was a uh, you know an applause to say well done guys. And clearly it was controversial, but we you know we'd led the race all day basically. Um, and he, I'd never seen Jim 
so despondent. You know, he he just couldn't believe the reaction, and and for both of us, it was um, yeah, it was it was really really hard to had to cope. I mean, it was it was just awful. Mm. How long before you reconciled? that victory and were able to be, were you able to be proud of it from the start and, and walk around as, yeah, I'm, I'm the Bathurst winner? Or, or did you feel that it took a bit longer for you to, to be able to say, look, those people don't understand what's just, what's just happened? Well, well, I think it is, again, it's a little bit back to what we spoke about earlier about our MAG regulations, because people don't actually understand that when the red flag comes out, you go back one lap. So that's always controversial. And it didn't help when Dick Johnson conveniently forgot the rule. The one that he won the race with prior. So when he wound them all up, and it didn't help when Crompo gave the crowd a bit the bird either. So so by that stage, yeah, people weren't very weren't very weren't very happy, and it, was, it wasn't nice. There were beer cans coming from everywhere. So yeah, so there was a lot of things that sort of you know that construed to make it worse than it was. Um, I I probably got over it reasonably quickly. I went straight to Europe and and drove a Formula Three Thousand car, but. Uh, but Richo had to put up with the media for that week, you know, and probably in Australian history, there's never, never been a more controversial podium than, uh, than Richo giving the crowd a spray. So that was pretty tough for him. Pretty fair that the team apologised, I think. Scott's been put through hell, hasn't he, really? He has, yeah, he has. And, and like I was saying before, it's nothing, it's not Scott's doing at all, which is, I think, you know, people may be coming down hard on Scott, but don't because Scott didn't do it. The team, on the other hand, did do it. How do you feel towards them? Uh, look, I, I was pissed off at Bathurst because of what happened with Fabian, mm. with what they told Fabian to do, because it killed our race. So, yeah, I was filthy with them. But this, on the other hand, I I don't know. It's It all sort of fades in under the same cloud. Like, I, it's... I don't know. You find it hard to it's, separate the two. Yeah, it's it's hard to separate the two. Um, I mean, it's, it's they're an the ones that are pushing saga. the tolerances, aren't they? Which everyone yeah. does. You push it to the nth degree to get the maximum gain, correct? That, that's the whole aim of the sport, right? It's the business. And, and sometimes you bring yourself undone. With not but you have to be willing to cop the consequences. You can't you can't be pushing the limit and and be so close to exceeding the limit and know that and and, and not expect to be penalised for mm. it. You know. Mark, did you have a chat to, to Scott at all? He was obviously on the, on the set after, mm. the, after the race when he should have been celebrating winning a, a championship. Did you say anything away from it? Just to say, you know, mate, chin up? Because he was like his dog had been kicked. Yeah, you know, I did. And we've been exchanging texts this week. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, what Lee said is exactly right. It's, it's a situation around a team's issue, not Scott's. And for Scott to balance this, it's really important because he's actually got to... One of the real fundamentals about our game, and it's sport in almost any sphere, is making sure that you, you take the highs and the lows and you enjoy them as a consequence. As, as Scott's been operating this year, no one could deny how well he's driven. Um, he's got better and better and better. And, uh, and at the end of the day, he's got to go to Newcastle and come away with a big smile on his face. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how he approaches it. And I'm looking forward to having a beer with him afterwards because, you know, he needs to, needs to celebrate. Yeah. yeah, he'd be wanting to get to America pretty quick, smart. I think he described the the paddock as toxic to him, so it's a, yeah, it's a difficult position for him to be in. The tire bank that was announced on on the weekend, it's being removed. Dunlop are continuing on. What's your reaction as a driver lead to that? Have you had a a real look at it yet? And and having greens all weekend, I suspect you're uh, celebrating. 
haven't really looked too far into it, but I have heard, heard a little bit about it. I think that, uh, I think it's a good thing. Like we'll, we'll be, we'll know what ties everyone's on. Um, we won't have to have the, the Friday, you know, session where it sets you up for qualifying, basically a qualifying session because that was, I think that's why it was implemented in the first place was so that people do run their green tires on a Friday and, and the spectators can see where, where everyone's sort of at. Um, so I think that might rule that out, uh, which would be good. Um, I don't mind the Friday qualifying sort of stuff, but, um, I think that's why it was introduced, but yeah, so I don't really have too many thoughts on it. Yep. We're all in the same boat. So yeah. Mark for you, you would welcome. I think it's a really positive step. I think it's a really, really good initiative. I mean, it's great for them to sign up again for another five years, um, to increase their supply is a good thing. If you think about our flyaway events, when we arrive there, everyone's got fresh tyres. Um, it's a much more level playing field, and I think that has a, an inherent competition yep. gain for the weekend. And the biggest thing for me, and I've been saying it forever, for 20 years, you have to have a form guide on Friday afternoon. If you can't have in the press around the mainstream papers on a Saturday morning telling people that Lee Holdsworth was the fastest yesterday at mm. Phillip Island or Sandown or yep. New, Newcastle or whatever it is, if you can't tell people that, then you've, you're flawed. Mm. Your business model is flawed. Well, it harks back to what you are saying before about making it simple. Oh, exactly. And so take the complexity out. What tire did he have? All that's gone. Yep. Make sure everyone's got a level playing field and you can tell people what's going on. Yep. So important. We'll mm. rapid fire through some silly season chat. Jack Smith to BJR now confirmed. Your thoughts on that one, Lee? Well, it's bringing another car onto the grid, you know, the fourth car at BJR. Um, that's only a good thing for the sport, you know. Jack uh, may not be ready at this stage, but a year in main series is is probably he'll get a lot more out of that than than being in the development series for one another year. So um, for him, I think it's a good thing for the sport. It's a good thing. Um, BJR going to four cars, I think, is probably a good thing for them as well to now be sharing two yep. booms, yep. Uh, you know, within the team. Um, so yeah, that's good. Who else is going to go there, Stubbsy? I reckon Todd Hazelwood. I reckon he'll end up there, which would mean Slade's out the door, as as we believe is is happening. I think Hazelwood's close to to being done, and he was all the talk at Walkinshaw there for a little bit, but that one mm. seems to have have fallen over. That's a good fit, do you think? For Todd, if he does end up at BJR, step up perhaps in, in resources from where he's been this year? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard when you're a, effectively a single car uh, and the specification of the car's always arguable around the front upright, for instance, against your know, 888 and mm. the other cars that are that are prepared as a 888 car. So hard to gauge, hard to get a feel for where you're at. I mean, I've been really impressed. There's been times this year where he's actually been the fastest triple eight car. I love telling Roland that it was fantastic. (laughs) He loves it. He gets a really big smile on his face when I tell him. (laughs) Slady, do you see him popping up anywhere, co-drive, or do you think there's still a couple of seats that that we aren't sure of? Yeah, there's still a few seats. Uh, I mean, for Slady, I sort of see him where I was at last year. He's not... Um, something's going on there. Yeah, that, he's better that's than that. Not, he's, he's better than that. Yeah. He, he's a good driver, and I've been his teammate before, and he's he's a he's a great driver. So I think it's really unfortunate for Slady. He's an awesome driver, good bloke. Um, he deserves a seat, but whether or not he gets one, I'm not sure. But it would be great to see him fall into the Sydney team or um, 
I don't know what else is out there now. But yeah, Matt Stone Racing, yeah. perhaps. Uh, Richie Stanaway, there's been a few words early at uh, Sandown that he might be at Walkinshaw. That will not happen. Uh, James Golding, they're looking, I know there's interest from Erebus as a co-driver. I think Luke Yulden's probably in a, under a bit of pressure there to keep his spot. So that appears to be the future for those two. Stanaway would struggle, you'd think, to get a, a drive. It's, it's been a shocking year for him, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you're asking me. <laughs> it all went, it all went pear-shaped after you shirt-fronted him. <laughs> um, I mean, clearly Stanaway's got some talent uh, from where he's been in the past, but yeah, he hasn't done himself any favours this year. Um, Golding, on the other hand, I, I think it'd be it's a shame to not see him full time. I actually think he's he's a good up and comer, and I don't think GRM have had the cars this year. Yep. To, to do the, the job, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, Caruso went and, and, and drove there in Stanaway's car and, and you could see clearly they weren't up to up to standard. So, um, yeah, Golding, I think, is actually doing a better job than what it, what yeah. it looks like at the moment. Mark, clean slate for Walkinshaw. We haven't seen that very often that both drivers are, are gone in, in one year. Is that risky as an organisation? Well, it, it's certainly not perfect. Um I think at the end of the day, some level of continuity and stability serves you well. So that's going to be very difficult for them to have, you know, basically a whole new arrangement in mm. terms of, you know, someone stepping in it. In, if you're glass half full, someone good stepping in there, driving the car and having an honest appraisal of it is probably pretty good. If you're glass half empty, often the demand of whoever the new driver is is different from the demand of the previous drivers. Mm. And you have to have the changeover to understand it. So, for instance, well, we all know who's going there. So when he goes there and he drives the car, if James Courtney and Scott Pye were there, then you get the feedback and mm. you say, oh, well, look, I, 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 it's got more understeer at turn five than I would like. And I think this is the reaction and this is what I'd like to fix. When you haven't got that, it's very hard then to go with clean sheet of paper. So engineering that will be interesting and... I'm also hearing that there'll be another engineering change as a consequence of that. So, um, yeah, interesting times. Mm. Who, who's going to be there, Stubbsy? Who's going to be at Walkinshaw? Chaz. Is he? Yeah, Chaz will, Chaz will be there. Uh, I know that's difficult for you to comment on, uh, given he's a teammate of yours, but he'll be there. Brock Feeney and, and Will Brown. Will Brown's been linked Brock to Feeney. Yeah, Will Brown's been linked to a, a stack of teams this year, and he, he's... Doing a pretty good job, isn't he? I mean, his Super 2 year hasn't been what he would have hoped. but No, but I thought out of the Enduros that there were three standouts. I thought Thomas Randall, Bryce Forward, and Will Brown were the three standout young guys. Mm. Um, and you'd have to say that his drive against Tanda in the wet on the Saturday was was an outstanding drive. Mm. It certainly was. Uh, so there's a bit to happen there for Walkinshaw. Do you think JC might be regretting his... Moved to Sydney, he did have the option or discussions anyway about being a co-driver at Penske. So that was an option on the table, but he's knocked that back to take the full-time gig at Sydney. And clearly there are some issues at the moment in Sydney between uh, the Webb family and, and Rod Salmon, who is expected to take the other part of, of that team. JC, it's looking like that's a, a pretty tough gig to step into. Yeah, I, no one wants to step into a brand new team. That's, it's not the way to go. Um, I would like, if I was JC, I'd want to see, I mean, he's, he's at a point where he probably has to move, I would say. 
Um, I think he would have been better off staying with Walkinshaw for the reasons that we just talked about before. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough move, that one, I think. JC's probably going to be regretting it for at least the next 12 months until they get underway. A new facility. And yeah, I mean, you've got to get staff. You've got to get the equipment. You've got to get the facility up and running. There's so many things they've got to get right. Um, so it's going to be hard to put it all together very quickly. It's important. It's one that you've always pushed, isn't it? To get that team in Sydney for our sport is, it's a must. Oh, Stubbsy, hundred percent. I mean, I take the execution away, meaning how they're going to do it. The ethos behind having a Sydney team is 100% right. Mm. Same with Adelaide. We should have a team in Adelaide. Um, because the hometown advantage for the sport about how you get people, I mean, go and ask Kill McLaughlin. You know, was was GWS a good thing? Clearly, it is. So the expansion from the Australia's biggest sporting code is all about making the pipe bigger and making the sport bigger, and uh, having it. it you, Sydney used to be the mecca. I mean, there were heaps of race teams in Sydney. Mm. They used to have three race tracks. Mm. Well, now there's only one race track, and there's no race team. So. Supercars with the New South Wales government, that's the initiative is 100% right. Um, We're just going to make sure that it happens the right way. Mm. Newcastle, who's going to kiss? Uh, Lee will. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to. Who are you going to kiss? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're we're, 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 go easy. Uh, Alana will be there Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Good good cover up, mate. Well done. (laughs) Jeez, you're starting to sweat up there. It's, uh, we've had some good racing there. It's It's been oh, a cracker, a favourite already, isn't it? Oh, it's a favourite. I mean, yeah. it's the biggest single sporting event ever in Newcastle. Not by a little bit, by a country mile. Two-thirds of the racetrack on the water. Those scenes of, you know, the Virgin plane coming in and the, the coal ships going out yeah. and the mad guys with the tugboats out the front and all the things. I mean, this is, it's, a, it's a crazy sports-starved town. You know, it's into horse racing, it's into surfing, it's into rugby league, it's into car racing. It's the, the absolute right demographic for what we do, and, uh, and it's a great event. A big farewell to your old boss, Gary Rogers Motorsport. They will be missed, and I'm sure Gaz has got something up his sleeve as a farewell <laughs> dress-up or something. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope he contains himself. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. Um, it's going to suck not seeing yeah. him on the grid next year. So he's been around a long time. He's been a huge part of the sport, and he's brought so many drivers in. And we, we've spoken about all this before, but he, I, I don't think I would be here without him. So he's done um, so much for me. So yeah, it's going to be, I think probably a bit emotional for, for Gaz and probably the people that he's brought into the, um, into the sport, which is a lot, you know, he's lot, he brought a lot of staff in, he's brought a lot of drivers in and they, they, they're there to thank him. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure there'll be a fitting Tribute paid to him during the broadcast this weekend too, Mark. Yeah, look, and there needs to be, Chris. I mean, he, he is a tremendous – just take all the car racing stuff away. He's a tremendous human being. Mm. He is a really, really good quality person. And the reality around what Gary has done in motorsport for all those drivers that you spoke of and all those engineers and all those people in terms of staff, um, the money he's contributed to the game, um, what he's brought – to the sport mm. has been tremendous, and uh, and and as a as a massive contributor to what we've got today, uh, it, it will be very sad to see him go. Mm. 
Farewell as well to Simona. I know we spoke on Trackside. She had her interview with Jess and Jess and I both, and, and you've got you know, family yourself. And as do you, Mark, from Jess and my point of view, our daughters have said we want to race supercars because they've seen Simona. I, th- I think you put that part aside, that's been a big tick, big tick for the sport. She's brought in Harvey Norman, Katie Page. She's encouraged women to participate in our sport. So that's a tick. Purely based on race results, has it been a failure? Uh, no, I, I don't no. think so. I think in the places that were level from everybody's perspective, like a Newcastle, she drove really well when it was a level playing field. One of the really difficult parts is you don't get to test. So, mm. and it, and coming to to this, she'd never driven touring cars. So, um, applying your trade and understanding what makes these cars work is very hard. Um, I, my belief is, and I think Lee agrees, is she's probably the best female race driver in the world. Yeah. Um, and and she's come to the hardest yeah. sedan car series in the world. So where she is, I, I think that on her best day, she's back of the top 10 yep. and, and roughly in the middle of the field in terms of her outright performance. Mm. But uh, I think it's been a, been a really worthy thing. And you know, all your points about commerciality are 100%. And all your points around what she's done for attracting female audience and, and future female participation has been outstanding. Yep. Like you said, coming from a long way back and coming to a team that ended up losing this, and it's been cha- there's been a lot of challenges thrown thrown at her as well along the mm. way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I, I agree with um, with Margot. I think it served its purpose. I think she. I think the the whole aim of it was to bring in a new audience, and yep. I think that's done that. You know, we've got a a, a strong female following and uh, and I think she's definitely helped that. She's a proud racer and, and admits herself that she hasn't re- received and achieved the results that, that she would have liked. So we wish her well. And hopefully it's not the last that we see her. She's still very much open to coming back as a co-driver. So hopefully we get to see her again. Lee, you can move ahead of Will and Cam for the second best of the Tickford cars. Elbows out and we might see some more <laughs> Tickford cars coming to Blues this weekend. <laughs> Gee, that's oh, all you man. need, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We've had enough of that this year. But yeah, there's some good inter-team battles. Uh, I see. old Tim will be out the front of his place in a rocking chair. <laughs> yeah. Get a counselor. Get a um, yeah, obviously my aim is to, is to jump those guys. Um, but look, I, I think it's, it'd be fantastic. I, I think we're, we're pretty much guaranteed to have all four cars in the top 10 at Tickford. I think that's a, a great, um, achievement for the team. Uh, but yeah, it would be nice to finish as high as I can. And the highest I can probably finish is seventh. Um, lowest is probably 10th, but I'll give it a good crack. But yeah, you see here, we've got Shane Van Gisbergen and Jamie Wincup pretty close as well. So there's some, yep. some good uh, team battles going to happen at, at Newcastle. How hard is it for a driver that doesn't know what they're doing? Next year, this this final round. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what you meant there. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. Plenty of, plenty, of <laughs> <them> <laughs> stop. <laughs> plenty of media pundits that don't know what they're doing either. Well, I can tell you because I was in that boat. And that's last what year. I was going to say. You were there last year, and I was harassing you at every autograph session, trying to find out what the hell you're doing next year. And you're getting quite frustrated, I think, with all that attention across the board, not just from me, but tough, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is tough. Uh, I guess you've just got to treat it like it is your last round. Yep. So you go as hard as you can as you do any time. Um, so you don't drive any different. And if you're Garth Town, you might not even know it's your last round. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But yeah, so I mean, I, I knew there were opportunities for me and, and some of these guys will know there's opportunities for them. I doubt one round will make the difference if they, if they step it up for one round. But, um, 
yeah, you just have to do everything you can. And, and Newcastle is a great opportunity to push the boundaries and get a little bit more out of the car than you have at previous rounds because it's all about putting it all on the line. There. Win it or bin it. They've got yeah. time to repair it for the next round, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was going to wrap up just by, by summarising Scott's season, but I think we touched on that enough Earlier on, he's um, certainly there's been issues along the way, but he'll stand on that top step for mine as a deserving champion. He's done the best that he can do with the car that he's been given, and, and that's all you can ask of any athlete, correct? Totally. 100%. Yep. Been yep. an outstanding season for him. Yep. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree. It is time for The Lethal Weapon. It's time for the nice guy of supercars to fire up. It's the Loud Pedals Lethal Weapon. Well, on the weekend... I thought that the display of blue flags was atrocious. The worst I've ever seen. And I've been in the sport now. I think this is my 14th year. And um, it, it, they, the back runners interfered with the, the result of the race. I mean, I was, uh, I was running third on the road behind Jamie and Shane. And, um, you know, obviously pretty pumped for a podium at that stage. And to come home just behind... Red Bull cars who had been dominating all weekend was going to be fantastic for me. And then I had uh, Simona hold me up for four laps uh, without getting any blue flags. She finally got the blue flag, still wouldn't move out of the way. She cost me about three seconds on the road, which put me in uh, in, in diving uh, distance from Chaz, um, who was coming up pretty strong. I got balked as I went for the dive into Dandy Road, and, and that cost me the position to Chaz uh, as he got a run on the exit. As he went past, then he just waved, she waved him through and, uh, and eventually waved me through. But it, it, it really um, hurt the result of the race. I don't, she was two laps down. I don't know what she was trying to achieve. The same thing happened with Richie a few laps later. Oh, there's Richie again. Good old Richie. Um, <laughs> Your mate. <laughs> so, I mean, I just don't understand why, why they would let um, up from the stewards box, why, would, why they would let cars that are two laps down mm. effectively out of the race. Um, and it's not costing them anything to move out of the way, why they would let that interfere with the result of the race. It, it really annoyed me. All right, bring on the blue flags. That's the call from Lee Holdsworth. Mark Scaife, before we let you go, we do this with every guest that comes in. Give us a famous name or the most famous name in your phone. Oh, are we sporting? Are we entertainment? Are anything we political? And are we... Yeah, anything and Where everything. Where are we? Where, what, well, what sort of, where would you like to head? Give us, give us your sporting one first. Uh, what about, what about we go with? Oh. Sure, yeah. So Shane Warne. Shane Warne's a good one. Okay. Yeah, good Fox Sports personality. Yeah, so yeah, it's a good exactly. cross promotion. I exactly. like what you've done there. Yep, yeah. yep. Or uh, what about you? What are you? Donald. Uh, <laughs> no, not Donald. No, he's, not he's, currently, he's currently impeachment land. So that's uh, allegedly. Not taking your uh, calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not taking, what, about, uh, what about entertainment land? Oh, Ooh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Jimmy Barnes. I like that. Okay, that'll stop yeah, me. Good. Okay, no, that's good. Well played. I <laughs> he's think, got hundreds. I think you win. Yeah, he's I got think hundreds. you win. Uh, all right, so the standings. We know Scott McLaughlin has it wrapped up. Shane Van Gisbergen in second from Jamie Wincup. Fabian Coulthard, Chaz Mostert, David Reynolds, and then it gets tight. It's Cam Waters, Will Davison, Lee Holdsworth, Nick Perkett is rounding out the top 10 with James Courtney, trying to punch his way in at the final round. Don't forget, you can subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. The final show of the season will be after the Newcastle 500. Mark Scaife, thanks for joining us. Thanks, chaps. Thank you. Lots of fun, thanks, lots of insight. We appreciate your time. Lethal, 
Go get them. Finish seventh. Thanks, Stubbsy. Cheers, Good mate. luck and well done <laughs> too on the weekend and get that trophy out of here before it gets broken. <laughs> this has been the Loud Pedal Podcast brought to you by Super Cheap Auto.